Tie kia kata tata 
As we looked at last night, the the first prayer of Paul for the church was really a prayer of revelation. It was things that God wanted had Paul pray for us to have revealed to us. There is a second recorded prayer of Paul for the church. And again, as I said last night, the, the epistle was written to the Ephesians, but because the early church recognized the book of Ephesians or the epistle of the, to the Ephesians as being a rhema or word from God to all the church, if it applied to the church all the church then then it has to apply to all the church now that is still existing only in the temporal uh, dimension we have not progressed to the next level next place that first prayer was a prayer of revelation this is who you are this is why you were called. This is who I am. This is who you are in me. But the second prayer is a prayer for ministry. If I could get you on the screen, please, to put Ephesians 3, verse 1. And for time's sake, you will notice immediately that what Paul is about to pray is based on what preceded the prayer. And I would love to take the time to go with you through Ephesians 3 from verse 1 down to the full elements of this prayer. But I don't have the time and don't feel the direction to do that. Because if I had the direction, I'd have the time, right? Amen. So, uh, this is the introduction for this afternoon. This is the introduction. This is the foundation. Paul said, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, next verse, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the, of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Oh, you started with verse 1. Well, let's just read that. I'll read it down until I get to where I want to cover the different things. So now that I know what I'm reading, go back to verse 1. I wouldn't even look at the numbers. I was just reading. 
For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. What cause? Everything that was discussed in chapter 2, especially how we were saved, the condition we were in. We one time were under the influence of the spirit of disobedience. We weren't just sinning because of flesh. Oh, why not? Uh, I'm going to start with where I left off last night. And we'll read as fast as the flow allows. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And you hath he quickened. And who? He just talked about the church. Being the body of him that filleth the body uh, that filleth of him that filleth all in all, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And please go ahead when I finish reading until I tell you to stop. Go to the next verse. Thank you. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the course of this world. You followed the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, you listened to him. Because he is the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Is everybody demon possessed? That's the problem with what I talked about yesterday. In Pentecost, there's either possessed or there is oppressed. And neither one of those are used even remotely in a scriptural manner. Because in a very real sense, every sinner is under the influence and the power of Satan. To some degree or other. Among whom also we all had our conversation. Among what? Go back to verse 2. Where in time past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in dis- children of disobedience. If you're trying to re- reach the lost without being involved with the supernatural, being involved with understanding the need to defeat the influence of that other world and the lives of sinners? <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm not even going to describe it. I'm just going to do what people do to me when they, they think I've done something stupid on the road. They just shake their head. And since I don't give the universal salute, then... That's my, that's the worst thing I can do with you. Because if you've done something stupid and you look in the car, or you look in your mirror, I'm sitting there going like this. And you know, what am I saying? Boy, you're really stupid. Of course, I've done the same thing. And so somebody's probably wagged their head at me, but, uh, <clears throat> right? If you honestly are trying to build a church, and combating the, the powers of ad, the adversary is not a focus of your efforts. You must be reading church growth books because you didn't get all that out of the Bible. And of course we know that church growth books, they don't address that stuff. And if you haven't picked up yet that I have no respect or appreciation for church growth books, then you are really very spiritually insensitive. So since you haven't picked up on it, I will say this to you. I have no use 
for church growth books. They don't even make a good doorstop to keep the door open. Now, the pastor talked the other night about how difficult he had a time starting a fire. They might be good kindling to get a good fire started. You don't really honestly mean that. With every fiber of my being, I mean that. First of all, there's only one church builder and I'm not him. So I don't have to figure out how to build a church. I just have to figure out how to be submitted to him and let him do the church building. Well, we need to know how to organize. You can't organize chaos. And if you haven't defeated the prince of the power of the air, you've got chaos. second thought to what's coming what comes is coming out just as raw as it's coming it would be like the allies getting their sandals and towels and umbrellas and lawn chairs ready to invade the beaches of Normandy because they are totally oblivious to the Germans and their guns waiting on them. Where are you going? We're invading Europe. Really? What's your weapons? Well, I got my sunscreen. Aren't you afraid of the guns? What guns? Aren't you afraid of all those German troops and their tanks? There's German troops and tanks over there. I just thought we were going on vacation on the beaches of Normandy. Well, we're going to go get us a building and get us a good praise team together and get out my favorite messages and put us up. We're going to market our church. We're going to build us a church. We're going to market it. The other thing I have a problem with when I'm tired, I get really sarcastic. So, what part of this is not God? I apologize for it in advance. Oh, praise God. Let's start verse 2 again. I can't get away from that. Where in a time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom also we had all, we all, well, I didn't have any devils. We all had our conversation. The word conversation doesn't mean we're talking to each other. That's the Greek word that means lifestyle or daily conduct. The way we lived. We all had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Wait a minute, don't go, don't go, don't go. Thank you. Good, thank you. 
this is what we think is the way we were living. And we blame it all on flesh. And so we're dealing with people and we're blaming it all on flesh. Is flesh involved? Yes. But who's pulling the marionette strings for the flesh? Go back to the previous verse that we've read three or four times already. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, colon. Somebody repeat the grammatical rule of the colon for me. What follows the colon explains or expounds what preceded the colon. So here's what's coming after the colon. The spirit that's now working in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the lust of the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Okay, so my sin is, my, my flesh is sinning. My flesh is doing all that. But where does it get all these ideas? Who is the influencer? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God, have mercy. <laughs> oh, I was looking forward to a pleasant time this afternoon. Selah. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Praise God. Among whom also we had our conversation in time past of the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children wrath even as others. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that believe not, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. Brother Barnes said years ago, the lost can't even decide whether or not they want to get saved till somebody with the authority to do so delivers the lost from the spirit of blindness. You can preach the best message that's ever been preached and they will look at you and stare you in the face with total incomprehension in their eyes. Why? Because there is a veil between you and them and no amount of eloquence and theatrics can deliver your sermon past that veil that has to be removed by authority from God.
and it is ludicrous. Bordering on criminal stupidity to try to do anything in the kingdom of God and ignore the enemy. Why do we do that? Oh, I wish it was just criminal stupidity. It's pride. It's ego. Because in order to do it God's way, you got to die. You got to die. You've got to die. You've got to die. You've got to die. And Jesus said, if you save your life, if you resist dying, you're going to lose it. But if you surrender, you lose your life. For my sake, you'll find it. This is the criteria for being my disciple. Why do I repent and get baptized? And receive the Holy Ghost. Because it's the only way I can ever hope to die. Because if I don't get resurrected first, I can't die. Because only by being born of water and the Spirit can I come out of the old life into the new. Where I now receive the Spirit of God. For if ye through the Spirit, through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Romans 8.13 If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. If you don't have the Spirit, you can't mortify the deeds. So I have to get saved first. I have to get resurrected first so I can die. Because God will not violate this principle. Life only comes out of death. Life does not come out of life. Life comes out of death. Except a grain of wheat fall on the ground and die to buy it alone. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your last name is. I don't care where you're from. I don't care who your daddy is. Your daddy can't die for you. You gotta die for you. And while you're refusing to die, you're frustrating yourself out of your mind and frustrating us too. Because dead men don't act like that. Sit around pouting. Dead men don't act like that. We pout because we don't get our way. We pout because our needs and our wants and our thoughts and our desires aren't given credence to. What's wrong with you, Brother Wright? Just think of it this way, would you? I'm standing here pleading the cause of the lost that don't have a chance while the church is imprisoned by the spirits of religious tradition. They don't have a chance 
Oh, yo, here's, here's the minor consola- uh, 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 consolation. He that did not know his master's will shall be beaten with few stripes. I don't know how you make the flames of hell less hotter. I don't know. But he that knew his master's will and did it not, he shall be beaten with much strikes. Is there degrees of punishment in hell? There sure seems like it. Now, I don't know how flames can be hotter for one and less for other. I don't know how outer, outer darkness can be darker for some than others. I don't know. I'm not God. I don't have to explain it. All I know is that the one who knew it and wouldn't do it, his... his I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. You hear me right now, okay? You hear me? God have mercy. I'm begging you to hear me. The people who will suffer the worst in hell are the ones that were closest to the kingdom and wouldn't make the trip. And I'm not talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about the saved that were satisfied playing church. Satisfied playing church. Going through the motions. Patting each other on the back about how well we're doing. The worst part of hell is designed for them. Worst part of hell. Brother Wright, do you know what you're saying? I don't have a clue. But the one that's talking does. If you had emptied yourself of your glory and came down to the earth, the Creator made, being made subject to the creation. He came unto His own. He was in the world. The world was made by Him and the world didn't recognize Him. He came unto His own and His own received Him not. And if you went to all of this for all of this, and they didn't even know who you were. And they didn't give you any difference or reverence for who you were. And then on top of that, you so surrendered yourself to them that you allowed them to beat your back till it was a plowed field, beat you in the face until it's permanently marred more than any person's face has ever been marred for eternity's sake. Because if the scars are still in his hands, if the scars still in his feet, if the scars still in his side, and Isaiah 52 says his visage was marred more than any man that when you see him it's a good thing we're going to be being glorified bodies by then because he's going to have the most grotesque face you've ever seen Isaiah says it and when you've gone to all of that trouble you've gone to all of that difficulty you've emptied yourself of God, your glory to the point that you were willing to go do that and then the people you're counting on to understand this and appreciate this and participate with it without getting their flesh in the way just as satisfied going through the motions I don't have a right to be upset with you I'm no different than you are but he has a right he has a right to be frustrated with that he has a right After all he did. God. (laughs) 
Verse 2 again. I ought to be used to being blindsided by him by now. I ought to be used to it. I ought to be expecting it. But I'm just some dumb donkey being led along. Okay, open your mouth. Here's what I'm putting in it. Now you say it. So be it. We're in in time past. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now, now, now worketh in the children of disobedience. So we want to go out and smile and give a nice invitation to people. And we hope they'll come to church and be impressed with how nice we are and how wonderful our service is. So that somehow they will join us and become converts to our denomination and doctrine. My flesh is going crazy right now. Because I'm saying, what are you beating these people up for? They're here. What are you beating them up for? They're here. They've been praying. They've been listening. They've been flowing. What are you beating them up for? He didn't answer that question. The spirit that now worketh, now worketh, now worketh, now worketh in the children of disobedience. This spirit now works in the children of disobedience. Next verse. Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Oh, God. We pout so bad when our lives aren't pain-free, trouble-free, problem-free, pressure-free. We can't see past our nose because we're so caught up in our problems, our troubles, our struggles. The whole world can go to hell because I got problems. Just let the whole world go to hell. I don't care. I got problems. Say, Brother Wright, that's kind of harsh. I don't know, is it? Ask him about it. I don't know. Well, we're doing our best. You got it. You, you missed the point. He wants you to quit doing your best. He wants you to quit doing. Doing your best is not good enough for him. He doesn't even want you doing. He wants you out of the way, me out of the way, and him do it. You can't do best enough to be acceptable. That's not an excuse with God. I'm doing my best. Doing your best is the problem. Because your best gives you an excuse. Your best allows you to justify yourself. Because if I'm doing my best, this must be God's fault. Because I'm doing my best. 
And I'm doing my best. And that means if this ain't working right, God's not doing his best because I'm doing my best. And how about this one? I prayed this one for. What do you want from me? I'm trying as hard as I can. I've, I've prayed this exact prayer. Louder than this. In the altar area of our little church over in Annapolis years ago. I ain't gonna, I'm not going to say it as loud as I did then. It stripped whatever it was I got left out. What do you want from me? I'm doing all I know to do. I'm giving you everything I got. What do you want from me? Well, sometime after that, not long, I'm riding down the road in my frenzy trying to do everything. Somebody ever heard this? Hear it again. I'm on Bay Ridge Avenue and I'm at the red light of Spa Road or Hilltop Lane, excuse me. I'm going straight and I am frustrated out of my mind. I got stuff I got to do and I want to do it now. And I'm telling him all the stuff he ought to be doing and all the stuff he ought to be fixing. And I'm justifying my attitude because I'm not asking him to do any of it for me. I'm not asking him to fix it. I'm asking him for the lost. I'm asking him to do it for the church he sent me to this city to build. Where I'm doing my best. Where are you at? You sent me here. Now where are you? I'm doing the best I can. Well, I don't see you doing your part. Send me here, tell me what to do, and then you'll give me any money to do it with? And I'm riding down the road, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm fuming prayer. Fuming it. And I'm sitting at this red light, and, and, and I got some place I got to be in this red light. If I had a bazooka, it wouldn't exist any longer. Or if I could find some kind of little button that would turn, change every light to green before I got to it, it I'd pay any amount of money for it because I got stuff to do. And this still sweet voice says, Son, am I a part of your plans? I got to be honest with you. It's just the truth. That was the most ridiculous thing God had ever said to me. I laughed out loud, not out of humor, but out of mocking. Lord, you know you're a part of my plans. And that same patient, small voice said, Don't you think it would be better if you were a part of my plans? Instant sobriety. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about, but I knew it was significant. Because that's so far outside the realm of my traditional Pentecostal upbringing. I had no grounds or basis under which to understood it, understand it. But I knew I just got sorely rebuked as kindly as it's possible to do. And in total sobriety, he immediately spoke to me again. 
so kind and said, Son, am I a part of your life? And with no derision or, or sarcasm or anything, just as sober as I could, I said, Lord, you know you're a part of my life. He said, Don't you think it would be better if you were a part of my life? It's honestly the truth. It was 20 years before I even begun, began to understand what he tried to say to me that day. But I know, I knew at that moment, he had just rocked my world. He dynamited the foundation that I thought was, was shoring up everything I thought, everything I did, everything I was doing. I, honestly, I knew, I, I went through a pretty good period of time there where I, I felt so off kilter, off, I, because I don't know what to do with this new information that just contradicted everything. I knew anything about God for my first 26 or 8 years at that time. Just blew it all to kingdom come. Just took all of my efforts and hard work and everything, just balled it up and do a little ball and do it in a trash can, swish behind your back. You're not even looking. It's gone. I didn't understand it. Among them also we had our conversation in times past of the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the lust, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children wrapped in these other next verse. I'm trying to get past it. But God, <laughs> in spite of us, in spite of our problems, in spite of our difficulties, thank God there's a but God. <laughs> thank God there's a but God. After I've done everything I thought I was supposed to do and found out none of it was acceptable to God. And he, and he's given me a do-over because with, with Cain, he just said, you're out of here. You're done. Finished. I, I gave, well, he actually gave Cain a second chance. He, he didn't understand enough. He was given a second chance. He rejected it because he's still feeling bad for himself because God chose Abel over him. And he couldn't even hear that God was giving him a chance because if you would like to be accepted like your brother Abel, then you need you comparing me to Abel? I'm my own man. Don't compare me with Abel. When comparing him with Abel, he was comparing his sacrifice with the one Abel brought, which was the sacrifice that God ordained. But God, who is rich in mercy, for, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Well, I was going to do this fast, wasn't I? Next verse. Even when we were dead in sins. You know what, you know what just really, really, really bothers me? That I was dead in sins. And he resurrected me. And now I'm struggling being dead in him. I was willing to live in sin. Even though it meant I was dead in sin. But now that I am forgiven and saved. I'm not willing to be dead in Him. 
I think I'll say that again. I was willing to live dead in sin. And he resurrected me, forgave me. And now I'm not willing to be dead in him. I didn't resurrect myself from the dead. The great love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God resurrected me from the dead. I was dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 1. Read it. Go, go back. And you had the quickened who were. You weren't alive struggling with sin. You were dead in those sins. You were dead in sins. Verse 5. You were dead in those sins. And we were quickened from that dead by the grace of God, not the good feelings of God for us. But the love of God for us that empowered us to be resurrected because we could not resurrect ourselves. Because we were dead. We were dead. You could have been the most moral person that's ever lived. But if you were not born again of water and the Spirit, you were dead. So it doesn't matter if you were the, were the most terrible genocide propagator in, the, in history or the most moral man that ever lived. Either way, you were dead in sins. And I was dead in sins and I've now been resurrected by the love of God, by the mercy of God, by the grace of God. And now all he asks me to do is willingly die out to him to be his conduit. I participated in sin willingly. Even though it killed me. But am I not now willing to yield to God? Even though that kills me? God's not fair. He's just asking that you give Him the very least that you gave to sin. You and your life. That's not true. Sin wasn't... Oh. So you controlled sin. Sin didn't control you? Hello? You, you controlled sin. Sin didn't control you? You, 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 know, you know where we have this warped sense of humor? It, it's, well, it's not even funny. So it's this warped sense. And that is that Jesus set us free. From this terrible master sin. And now we're free to do whatever we want to. No. Jesus went to sin's slave market. And bought you out of slavery to the devil. So you could be his slave. Ooh, I don't like that idea. Paul called himself the doulos of Christ. Look up the word doulos. It's slave. I don't like that idea. I'm sorry. It's in the book. I'm not using that to justify anything man's done to man. Now, I don't believe in that. That's whatever. But, but I wasn't purchased out of sin to now run my life, do my thing. I was purchased out of sin to serve Christ. Amen. 
we're all against slavery. <laughs> that is the fantasy. Everybody's a slave. The only choice you've got, God, is who your master's going to be. Because the difference is, He will not buy you out of slavery to sin to be his, for Him to be your good master without your willingness to change masters. But we Americans, we believe in freedom. Freedom run my own life. That's such a lie, because if I had freedom, you can't believe how fast I'd drive. <laughs> Two, three weeks, three weeks, three, four weeks ago, whatever it was, I think it's second week of October, we were in Texas and uh, had a, a couple of days before it was time to speak. And so I'd always heard of the Texas Hill Country. So. I, I reserved a Ford Taurus. And because I'm a, we have a corporate account with Avis, we get their discounts and all that. And sometimes if they're out of a car, they just boost you up a couple. So I got there expecting my Ford Taurus. And there's since a BMW X3. My first thought was, this is pretty cool. Until I found out that Whoever designs the BMWs, they don't want anything to be user-friendly because nothing is intuitive. Nothing. I couldn't even figure out how to unlock and lock the doors from the inside. I had to use the key fob to do that. Who builds a car like that? We say, well, it can be done. Well, fine. I don't doubt it's possible to do, but it wasn't intuitive. And you're going to rent this car without taking me through a course on how to operate it? And they got this stupid transmission stick that's so contrary to everything else that you do. So you got this thing and you want to go in reverse, you push it forward. You want to go forward, you pull it in reverse to the back. And then if you want to go in park, you don't push it anything. You got a button that says P. What? P park? You know? And when you push it forward and think you're in park and you try to get out and it starts moving, you've got a problem. It turned out the only thing it was good for is I go, we go out in hill country and drive. We get on two-lane roads, hilly, curvy, two-lane roads, that the speed limit is 70 miles an hour. And the fastest speed limit anywhere in the state of Maryland on the best road is 65. You go, there is something inherently weird and wrong about this. Well, then you get on the interstates and the speed limits are 75, except for the Audubon. Because they got this road. It's only about 60 miles or so. But the speed limit is 85. And I, my wife took pictures of the gauges and texted to my sons. And at that moment, that moment, I was placated for 
a short amount of time with having that BMW because it sat solid. I didn't feel it all nervous running. <laughs> Whatever I was running. <laughs> it wasn't 85. <laughs> the problem was driving that fast. That that road was finished in no time. And I just about want to turn around and drive back and come back. Just to have the opportunity to almost legally run that fast. See, if I was free, free to do whatever I wanted to because Christ has set me free, there's a lot of things I would do different. I'd never eat anything but dove bars. Unfortunately, I'm not kidding. Don't you get tired of those? I don't know. I haven't eaten that many yet. And when I get tired of dub bars, I supplement it with dub pieces, bags of them. Because if I was free to do whatever I wanted to, and there's no conscience or, or consequences because I'm free, there's a lot of things I would do different. I'm not free. Because I can't please myself. I've got to please the one who purchased me, who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. This isn't about me. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I want. It's not about my way. It's not about my preferences. It's not about me. It's about Him. And then He has the audacity to say that if I'm dead, that's life abundantly. You bring me out of death and darkness and you give me life and then you tell me once you give me that life if I want more than this I got to die again and that sounds like I'm going back to where I was because I was under control to things that I didn't want to be under control to and so you deliver me from all of that and now I've got life and I got a little taste of freedom from that and now you're telling me I'm not Really free. I'm under your authority. And you say that if I willingly, I didn't willingly give myself up to slavery, to sin. But if I willingly give myself up to your authority and be your servant, slave, that you're going to make that life? When I was under this servant, master, that was death. But you say if I die, you're going to make that Abundant life. I resisted that for years because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe dying could be living. I didn't believe giving up everything I wanted could give me things I didn't know I wanted or needed that far surpassed all I ever gave up. That made what I give up seem like dung. Isn't that what Paul said? And to count it but dung. Okay. Yea, doubtless I've counted all things but loss. For the excellence, the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And you could have stopped there, Paul. We get the point. But he's driven the nail in the board. Now he's got the nail set out. He's he's flushing the nail, nail set. 
the nail is down below the nail set because he bam and do count them but dumb. In other words, once I give up all this stuff that I could lose but give it up voluntarily and give it up in advance, not only does he give me whatever, but what he gives me so far exceeds what I reluctant, what I held on to and reluctantly gave up. That when I look back at what I gave up, I'm saying, who wouldn't make this deal? Because what I gave up compared to what I got is nothing more than dung. And at the expense of being considered crude, do you grieve? Over elimination? That's pretty crude, brother, right? Not my example. Not my metaphor. Paul's. You grieve over that? You count that as loss? Or a great joy that you're relieved? It's okay to chuckle. That's okay. okay. Big deal. The point still is, if you don't have that elimination, it ain't fun. And you could die. And so Paul is saying, <laughs> I don't grieve over what, how God has designed my body. It tastes good coming in, but I can't keep it here because I can't be healthy unless it passes through. And all this stuff I valued that I was, the devil tormented me with losing. I have given it all up for Christ. Now, all this I've gained is of such value that when I look back at what I was so afraid of losing, that it took the grace of God to empower me to give it up, I look at it and go, dumb. That was a problem? I had a problem with this exchange? I reluctantly refused... Or I didn't reluctantly. I refused to participate with this exchange. Why? Because the adversary, even though I'm now free from him, the adversary has blinded my mind to what was going to happen. He made it the most distasteful sounding thing there could be. Die? I'm going to die? And this time willingly? Even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together by, with Christ. By, by grace you're saved. Next verse. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, not just for now, forever. Not in the age to come. The ages. Plural. Ever, however many ages there are in God's plan from now to the, to the end of eternity, which doesn't have an end. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. How am I saved by grace? I'm saved by grace because grace empowers me to obey the word of God because I cannot do it through my own ability. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. That empowerment is the gift of God. I don't earn it. I can't deserve it. I have to submit to it. I have to yield to it. I have to allow it to work through me. Next verse. 
Not of works, lest any man should boast. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That's, the, that's good. You, that was a great illustration. We Pentecostals certainly want to pass over that one. Because whether we intend to or not, that's exactly what we preach. Do I believe in holiness? <laughs> Biblical holiness? True holiness? Absolutely with everything it means. You say, all holiness is holy. No, 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 no. The Bible talks about true holiness. You ever read that? True holiness? When he specifies with the adjective true, that automatically implies there is such thing as false holiness. Do I believe in it? Come out from among them and be you separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you. And you will be my sons and my daughters. In other words, the condition under which I am accepted as his son is if I come out from among them and be separate. And the Greek word there, separate, means to be set apart by boundaries. Who draws the boundaries? God said, tell them, don't touch this mountain. He never said where the boundary of that mountain was. Who drew the, the boundary? Moses. Well, you know, different churches believe different things. That's exactly right. Why would God allow that? <laughs> because it's the responsibility of that senior individual to determine where the boundary is for those people. And if your boundary is just a little bit different than mine, that doesn't make mine right and yours wrong or vice versa. Because I'm accountable for the boundaries here, not yours. We're all accountable to the Scripture. We're all accountable to the Scripture. But Jesus said some people believe you don't eat meat off the idols. Others say it's just meat. Don't even argue about it. Some say you, you count every day holy, that equal the same. And others say one day of the week is holy. You don't even argue about it. You're not even supposed to debate over it. Right. Live by your own faith. Does it not say that or not? Or maybe we don't study Romans 14 because we don't like what it says. Because that takes away our right to look at our brother and say, I'm better than him. My wife went through cancer. She lost her hair. In some ways, I think she probably grieved more over losing her hair than she did over having cancer. So, and she said, I don't look like me anymore. I don't feel like me anymore. This, she was 62 years old. Her hair had never been cut. I don't look like me. I don't feel like me. I held her while she cried a lot of time over that loss. So, we went to extra effort and expense to try to find a wig that she could wear on her bald head that would look like her. Well, they don't make long wigs in gray or silver. Either had to go with a short wig with her hair color 
which wouldn't have made any difference if, how short it was. It's the same thing as being bald to her, to the Bible. Or we had to get something as close as possible. And so you had to look close, but it was a very, very, very light blonde, probably a platinum blonde. It was as close to silver as you could get, except for that slight tint of yellow in it. But she was able to fix it, and a lot of people didn't even know she was wearing a wig because it was, she could wear it in the hairstyle they were used to seeing her in. So she goes to the general conference, and she's the ladies president of our district. She's in that in a meeting there, and there's a lady, a well-known preacher's wife, came up to her said and said, Oh, Sister Wright, when did you start dyeing your hair? Now, I got the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to prove to you I had the Holy Ghost. Because when she came back to the room and told me that, every bit of husband in me wanted to show up at the next meeting and get in little miss, I don't know who you think you are, space, and say, have you ever even considered that she might be going through something and this is the best she can do? Well, the Holy Ghost was stronger than the husband. Thank God. Because two days later, the lady comes up to her and says, I'm so very sorry. I didn't know you had cancer. In other words, I should not have inserted both feet in my mouth up to my knees. I should have given you and God just a little bit of benefit of the doubt. So don't be so quick to conclude that it looks like somebody's compromising till you know the whole story. And now she's got enough hair to wear a little ponytail. And we're proud of that ponytail. And I said, you know, you could just kind of ball that up in the back. And people think you're just one of those older ladies that have lost a lot of hair. And you don't have a lot of hair. And they won't know any difference. I'm not putting this ponytail in a ball. Well, that, praise God, that's new. Because she never saw herself in a mirror ball and she wouldn't let me see her. And I, I respected that. Because she didn't want that mental image of herself in there. She wanted to remember who she was the way she was and have faith God was going to bring her back to that. You say, oh, that's silly. Really? That's my problem with you is that do that you, that's silly. I believe in holiness. But I don't believe holiness keeping standards saved me. Just like I don't believe speaking in tongues saves me. Biblically, I'm saved because I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But initially, I have the only way I know I've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost initially is I speak it in tongues. Well, then you believe you have to speak in tongues to be saved. No, I do not. I believe you have to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. But you don't believe you can have the Holy Ghost unless you have the initial evidence. That's correct. 
But the sign is not a part of the plan of salvation. The pl- that's why Acts 2.38 doesn't say, and, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. It's the old thing I heard when I was a kid. When you buy a pair of shoes, the tongues come with them. You don't buy the tongues. Still true today, you see. My feet are not shorn with shoes because I got tongues on the top of my arches. The tongues just kind of come along with a shoe. You're not saved because you speak in tongues. You're saved because you have the indwelling divine nature. But initially, the initial external evidence that you've received the Holy Ghost is you speak in tongues. Those computers just clicked off on that. I, I wish I was kidding. I wish I was making that up. I'm not. So, <laughs> when I preach, the external evidences of holiness as essential for salvation. No, no. If holiness is inside, will the external signs of it be there? Absolutely. But the absence of the external signs doesn't cost you your salvation. It's what's absent inside of you that costs you salvation. Do you think a, Jew, a person who, 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 who was not a Jew, who joined Judaism and got circumcised, became saved because they were circumcised? No, they were saved because of the faith that they had that made them want to be circumcised. Because that was God's sign. That was His seal. Does that mean every man that's circumcised is a Jew? Does that mean everybody that speaks in tongues is saved? Does that mean everybody that's been baptized in water and they said the name of Jesus over them is saved? Nah. Nah. No. I'm not trying to narrow this down. <laughs> I actually got a feeling I believe it, believe it much broader, broader than God looks at it. I mean, it goes something like this. Except a man. Verily, verily. Let me read you this. I, I didn't know I was going to get to use this. Hallelujah. I didn't, The other day I was studying it, and I came across this and just kind of put it in my notes so I wouldn't forget it because I don't... If I don't make notes of something, I'll forget it. And, and I, was, I was reading, actually, the last verse of Ephesians 3, and, and I saw the amen, and I knew the amen was there, but it just kind of hit me, and I thought, I just had one of those strongs with, those King James with strongs, and all I had to do was touch the button, just touch the word, and the thing would come up. And So I did. And this is what it said. It said that uh, 
The Greek word is amen, A-M-E-N, just like we spell the English word. And that is the transliteration of the Hebrew word spelled in our our letters, A-M-E-N. And at the beginning of a discourse, surely, it means surely, truly, or of a truth. At the end, it means so it is, so be it, may it be fulfilled. It was a custom which passed over from the synagogues to the Christian assemblies that when he who had read or discoursed had offered up solemn prayer to God, the others responded, Amen, and thus made the substance of what was uttered their own. So, Amen is not some Pentecostal colloquialism that we do to let the preacher know we're paying attention. But when you're saying something and somebody goes, Amen, and you go, you Amen that? You're not paying attention. I mean, nowadays you could just record that, put it in your pocket and put it on play and you check out and every once in a while it'll just go from your pocket. Amen! <laughs> and everybody around you think, boy, he's spiritual. Till you're saying amen over, it's time for the offering. And then they know you're not being spiritual. <laughs> Brother came up to me before this session and said, you know, I'm involved in soul winning and outreach and teaching that and, and helping people to be trained with that. And, and I really would like to begin to talk about spiritual warfare. But in light of what you just taught, I, I'm a little reluctant to do that. And, 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 and how, do you, how do you feel about that? I said, this week will be an absolute failure if the hungry don't go home and apply themselves to studying and hearing and listening and cultivating and giving this opportunity to develop in them until it becomes their own and then it becomes theirs and they're not repeating what they heard somebody, anybody say but now they're repeating that which has become theirs that they have taken ownership of God has now spoken this into my life He is now calling me I am now doing this Well, what, 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 what would you think if, if, if I said some of the stuff you did if God gave it to you, say it it's not mine it's not mine. It's not mine. It wasn't mine when he gave it. It's not mine while, I, while I'm studying. It's not mine when I'm giving it away. It's not mine. And so Amen says, I agree with that and take ownership of that. How many times have you heard a prophecy going forth? Especially one being given to an individual. Not you. And something in your spirit goes bing, 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 bing. What do you, what do you, what do you do? If my faith connects with that prophecy, guess what? That just became my prophecy. Why? Because it wasn't covetous that made me do that. My spirit bore witness with that word. And I felt the Spirit of God bear witness that He wasn't just saying, He might have been saying it to that individual, but He was saying it to me. The angel of God says to Mary, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Does that only apply to Mary? Literally, the verse means... In the presence of God. 
And with God as your atmosphere you live and breathe in and that you're connected to, no rhema from God shall fail to come to pass. Well, guess what? That's mine. Amen. That's mine. I believe that. I'm living that. Amen. That's mine. Well, he said it to Mary. That's not my problem. Amen. That's mine. I'm living that. Okay. Praise God. I got all that out of Second Ephesians 2 9. Lord, you're something else, aren't you? <laughs> not of works, I said, he mentioned both. Next verse 10. <laughs> We are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles, you, that ye, being in time past Gentiles, in the flesh, which who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of, the prom- of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Oh, we had the God of this world, but not the God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace and he that that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off that's scriptural terminology terminology for gentiles And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Gentiles and Jews. The afar off and Gentiles and Jews were the nigh. For through him, through through the Logos, (laughs) we both have access by one spirit unto the infinite God. By the Logos. Both Jew and Gentile have access by one spirit, through one spirit, by the agency of the spirit, unto the Father, the infinite God. Next verse. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, in whom... And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord. Now listen. Next verse. In whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. We are individually temples of God. Together, collectively, we are the habitation of God through the Spirit. Now. Now, listen. Here it comes. Ready? Verse 1. For this cause. For this cause. Based on everything that's just been said. 
I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, I think that was a direct reference to the book of Colossians. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. That's what grace does. Grace is the effectual working of his power in me enabling me to do what I cannot do myself. Unto me who am the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? Sorry. To make all men see. Let's go back one verse. Sorry. Verse 8, please. Unto me who am least of all the saints in this is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Next verse. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery that's not incomprehensible things. It is secrets that God has hidden that he reveals only to his people. What is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So from before the foundation of the world, all the way up until the church, God hid all these things. But now he is opening them up like a blossoming rose and showing, you the, uh, showing us the full beauty and the glory of what's hidden inside that bud. And to make all see, all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Next verse. To the intent, here's the purpose, the reason, that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known. How? How? The principalities and powers, that's not talking about the devil. That's talking about the most senior angels in heaven. That God is ready to reveal to the most senior angels in heaven the manifold wisdom of God, but how? Anybody here read? Oh, we see it. We just don't believe it. You're kidding. God's going to use us to reveal to the angels what they don't know. God couldn't reveal it to his angels 
without the other angels finding out. And if they had known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God only gives Satan enough knowledge to provoke him to do what God knows he will do. He exercises his free will. He does it. You say he didn't have free will. He took free will he didn't have a right to have. That's how he sinned in the first place. So God couldn't tell any of the angels this. The secrets that were hidden. The book says it. Who's hidden the angels? Even the angels desired to look into this. But he hid it. And now he's going to reveal it to the heavenly host, good and bad. How? By the church. I'm going to read that a couple of other places here because we just having a hard time accepting that one. Whoa. I don't blame you. The first time I read that and really read it in September of 2013, we really read it with eyes that had been opened and hadn't been closed. I go, what? What? And then I go to study it. Did he, re- he didn't, he, did he really mean that? What? So the Amplified says it this way. The purpose is that through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all of its infinite, infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities, principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Really? We says it this way. In order that there might be made known now to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places through the intermediate agency of the church, the much variegated wisdom of God. I'm going to read Amplified one more time. It's pretty explicit. The purpose is that through the church, the complicated, many-sided wisdom of God in all of its infinite variety and innumerable aspects might now be made known to the angelic rulers and authorities, principalities and powers in the heavenly sphere. <laughs> and, 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 and we feel like our job is to have good church and invite people to come and enjoy good church and maybe they'll feel something and like us and and maybe, maybe they'll get saved. <laughs> because that's all we know, right? We don't know anything else, right? <laughs> You'd think I would believe I'd made that point enough. And so when it came into my head, I'd say, Lord, that's enough. We, we've already made that point enough. That proved that I'm not a conduit.
Next verse. According, I'll read 10 to get to 11. Thank you. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers of heaven the places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith, by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory. Okay? Verse 13 is kind of a strange verse because really what it ends up being is transition to the coup d'etat. So I'm going to read that again. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. What's he saying? I know you've heard about all I've gone through. Night and day spent the deep shipwreck, back beaten, what, three times, whatever it was, stoned left for dead, escaped from a city over, over a wall in a basket, hungry as often, as fast as often, wars within, wars without, besides all this, the care of the church. I know you've heard all this. And I, and how many times have I been in prison? It seems like the thing to do. Everybody needs some to be able to brag. Well, I put him in prison too. I put him in prison. Well, I put him in prison. Wherefore, I desire that you don't get dispirited and feel like giving up because all you can see are the troubles I've gone through for you. Because these troubles, this suffering, all that God has trusted me to go through so that I could preach the gospel for you is your glory, not your shame. It's your glory. It's not your shame. It's your glory. It's not your shame. Now, here it is. Verse 14. For this cause, (laughs) for all the stuff we've just read up to now, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Next verse. That he would grant you Here's where it kind of sounds like the one we talked about last night. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Remember what glory is. Technically, the word glory is the self-manifestation, the self-revelation of God. It's God doing things with the express purpose of pulling the scales off our eyes and our understanding so we can clearly see him. For who he really is. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. No, wait, 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 wait. I'm got to read that one. Amplified says, May he grant you out of the rich treasure of his glory. 
treasury of his glory. To be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit, himself indwelling your innermost being and personality. And then, verse 16, and we, that he would grant you, grant to you according to the wealth of his glory with power to be strengthened through the Spirit in the inward man. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. However rich he is and all that. However, to whatever degree he can manifest and reveal himself in and through us. To us, in us, then through us. To that degree, Paul asks or speaks that God would grant to us to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in our inner man. Next verse. That Christ, for this purpose, for this cause, for this reason, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and ye being rooted and grounded in love, find foundation solidify there. And this is the way that goes. That ye may have amplified, that ye may have power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, which is the... No, that's not it. No, I'm sorry. Verse 17. May Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make His permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. Weiss. That Christ might finally settle down and feel completely in, at home in your hearts. Through your faith. In love. Having been firmly rooted. And grounded. Verse 18. May be able. Let's read 17 again. Come into that. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And that ye being rooted and grounded in love. May be able. To comprehend. With all saints. What is the breadth and length and depth and height. Next verse. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now I'm reading amplified those three verses. May Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, which is the breadth and length and height and depth of it, that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all of your being under the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body 
wholly filled and flooded with God Himself. Paul prayed for you to have that. Paul prayed for you to have that. And then finally I'm reading Luis. This is a little easier to read. That Christ may finally settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts through your faith. In love, having been firmly rooted and grounded in order that you may be able to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and width and height and depth and to know experientially the love of Christ, of of the Christ, which surpasses experiential knowledge in order that ye may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God. What are you going to settle for? What have you been settling for? What are you going to settle for? I know you're tired. This is a sixth session. I understand. Some of you have hit the wall. You know what that wall is? Flesh. I've hit the wall. You sure have. And that's the wall we always hit and back off from. And I didn't say that, I didn't say that critically. I'm just telling you it's the way it is. You know it is. You may not put that label on it. Well, you might not want to know that's the label. But that's what the wall is. I've hit the wall. I can't go anymore. No, 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 no. That's not true. I don't want to go anymore because to go beyond this, I have to go through the wall. I have to break the wall. The Lord has to. Rend the wall. (laughs) I would not be foolish enough to even imply to you that I have done, that I have received even the scratching of the service of what these things mean. But I'm going to tell you what right now. That little taste I've got so far, and that's all it is, a taste. I smell what's cooking. I haven't been called to the table yet. And oh boy, this must be Thanksgiving and Christmas combined with my birthday. Because this absolutely smells phenomenal. I smell every favorite thing I could possibly ever want. I smell all that. Because hear me right now. This revelation, it's time. And this revelation is being given to the church, the people of God that want it. And when we receive it as a revelation, it's going to so transform us that everybody else that doesn't have it is going to look and say, Who are you? Who are you people? What is this all about? How did you get here? I didn't get here by what I do. I didn't get here because of what my name is. I didn't get here because of my past. I got here because of revelation. I can't brag about it because everything I have I received. And how do you boast in what's been freely given to you? You don't boast about what you've received. You boast about what you've earned, what you've accomplished. And when I receive this, there's, I can give, I can boast in God. I can give Him thanks, but I can't brag about it for myself. 
Say, really, Brother Rat, I'm not sure how significant this is. I was hoping you'd say that. Because I'm going to show you the significance. I've quoted it a couple of times already. <laughs> but now we're going to read it. If you haven't figured it out by now, because you just haven't had time to look at it. But if, because you did it, if you, if you looked at it, had time to look at it, you would see this. Ephesians 1 through 3 is sequential. This is built upon this, and this is built upon this, and this is built upon this, and this is, this is the foundation for this. And, and all of these things, it's like building lay, layers and levels to rise. And all that we've just read, here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Next verse. Now. Do you get it that if you hadn't looked at the rest of that, now wouldn't make any sense to you? Now. Now, based on all that's been said, based on the revelation we talked about last night, based on the stuff the Lord's talked about today and the revelation of the prayer that we, this second prayer of Paul for the church, based on this now, Here's the consequence of receiving all of that from chapter 1, chapter 2, and all the everything it preceded in chapter 3. Here is the result of it. Here is all of that and the fruit of it, the consequence of it. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Next verse. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. He's not done with us after the rapture. <coughs> throughout all ages, world, world, universe without end. Amen. I just took ownership of all this. Amplified. Now to him who by the, by in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. To Him be glory in the church, self-manifestation, self-revelation in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So be it. And then finally, we now to the one who is able to, to do beyond all things, superabundantly be, beyond and over and above those things that we are asking for ourselves and considering in the measure of the power which is operative in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all the generations of the age of the ages. Amen. We are at the precipice. Of all the pieces fitting into the picture of all of this coming together. We are at that moment.
Matthew 11, 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Next verse. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me, the Logos of my Father, the infinite God. And no man knoweth the Logos or Logos but the Father, the infinite God. Neither knoweth any man the Father, the infinite God. Save or accept the Son, the Logos, and he to whomsoever the Logos will reveal him, the infinite God. Do you see that? Do you see what comes after that? Do you see that? Here is what the next three verses are built upon. Ready? Come unto me. Who? The Logos. That knows the Father. And the only way you'll ever know the Father. Is through through me the Logos. Come unto me. All ye that labor. And are heavy laden. And you study that in scripture. And in the various commentaries or whatever. You'll see this in talking about sinners, not those that are laboring and heavy laden with sinners. But it's specific address to those who are under heavy load and heavy labors trying to meet religious expectation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. How's your yoke? Anybody in the yoke with you? Are you burdened down by heavy cargo? And wearied by strenuous effort? Amplified says it this way, verse 25, At that time, Jesus began to say, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, and I acknowledge openly and joyfully to your honor that you have hidden these things from the wise and clever and learned and revealed them unto them to babes, to the childless, untaught and unskilled. Yes, Father, I praise you that such was your gracious will and good pleasure All things have been entrusted and delivered to me by my Father. No one fully knows and accurately understands the Son except the Father. And no one fully knows and accurately understands the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son deliberately wills to make Him known. Come to me, 
all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened. And I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon, upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and humble, lowly. I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart. And you will find rest, relief, and ease, and refreshment, and recreation, and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. Now, I don't want to give you false hope here. But I believe I'm quitting after reading this next and commenting, I think. I probably shouldn't have said that because then if I don't, I'm lying. I want you to listen to this. Ephesians, or excuse me, Matthew eleven twenty-five, in Weiss. At that epical, strategic moment of time. The King James says, if you go back to 25, at that time. But the Greek word translated time there, it's not the word chronos, meaning time as a span that you calculate and measure. But this is a separate Greek word that speaks of a specific moment and its importance. Because not all moments are equal. Not all hours are equal. Not all days are equal. Some moments are more important than others. Some days are more important than others. The day that I walked into the back of that little church in Jacksonville, Florida, and I saw this young lady sitting at the piano in the altar area playing before church, that was an epical, strategic moment. It was a day like no other for me. Moments by moments, minutes by minutes, hours by hours, days by days. All of those pass. But there are certain points, specific periods of time that are so crucial to God's plan that if you miss them, you miss what He's doing. In fact, we says concerning Jesus, standing and weeping over Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If you had not missed this epical, strategic moment in time, how great of things I would have done for you. But because you missed this epical, strategic moment of time, all those things I would have done, you're not getting. In fact, now you're going to be destroyed because you missed the epical, strategic, moment of time so I will reuse terminology I said we're on the precipice no we're not because if you would be sensitive to the witness of the Holy Ghost in this room right now even in your natural fatigue and the weariness of your natural mind if you would just trust your Holy Ghost like I said the first night just trust him Because you don't have enough mojo left to resist. If you would just trust Him and let Him bear witness to you, you would see that we are at, in this period, 
an epical, strategic period of time. And those who don't miss it are going to be used of God mightily. Now, in this epical, strategic period of time, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think, according to the power within us. Now, at this epical, strategic moment of time, Why is it that for some of you getting here, not because you're coming to Antioch, not because you're coming to call a war, not because you can, so you can come hear me run my mouth, but what was it in you that no matter what came your way, no matter what obstacles were put in your way, something in you said, I, I, I got to get to that meeting. I got, I've got to get there. Let's face facts. It's the truth. Some of you have no business being here. You've got enough stuff going on to justify you not being here many times over. In fact, you've had voices internal and external to you saying, what are you doing? How can you leave here now? You weren't compelled to come to this meeting, this church location, or to hear this speaker you were compelled to come and be a part of what the Spirit was doing and saying. He that hath ears to hear should hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Not everybody in the church has ears to hear. Otherwise, he would not have said that. He said it four or five times in Revelation 2 and 3. Because not everybody who is quote unquote in the church has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Not everybody does. But to those who have ears to hear and are willing to receive. And let that word, that rhema work in you. And let the Spirit of God confirm it. And then water that seed so that it would germinate, begin to grow. And just expand in your life. Begin to produce fruit that God would be glorified by. There has to be a moment where that's sown. has to be a time when it's watered. It has to happen. You can't get a crop from a field that doesn't have anything sown in it. But we're having church, singing good songs and preaching good messages, and we're going and coming and feeling good. And we're about to have revival based on what? We're having good church. We feel God. We feel God confirming we're having good church. So we, we're apparently, we're going to have a revival. Really. So a farmer that gets up and feels good. He looks at all of his barns and equipment and says, boy, it's all in good shape here. I feel like I'm about to have a harvest. I got good ground and I got good family and, and I'm a good farmer. And so all this is good and I must be about to have a harvest. Uh, sir, have you put any seed in the ground? Oh, I don't need to put seed in the ground. I'm a good man, got a good barn, got a good family, got a good field. Surely all of that good's going to produce harvest. Not without any seed in the ground. Amen. 
Oh, we're having revival. Yeah, really? And you've got what organized outreach going on? And you're preaching and teaching the people. They should be out in the field sowing seed. No, praise God, we're having revival. You're having something, but it's probably imagination from something you've been smoking. Because you're deluded. God's not going to violate his principle. It's not violating his principle. You want to harvest, you better put some seed in the ground. No seed in the ground, no harvest. It's an epical, strategic moment in time. And God grant us the sensitivity to discern it. And respond to it. Because it's an epical, strategic moment of time. Why don't you ask him for that right now? Why don't you ask him to give you ears to hear what his spirit is saying to the church? Why don't you ask him that? Why don't you ask him? You're not praying to be better than somebody. You're not praying to know more than somebody. You're not praying to be recognized above somebody. You're just praying to be a part of what God's doing. Just to be faithful to His part that He has for you. I'm going to say this with Jesus. For this cause was I born. For this cause I've been brought to this point in my life. How about you? What cause were you born for? For what cause have you come to this point in your life? I was born for this. I was called to this. I was chosen for this. I've been faithful for this by the grace of God. This is what my whole life has been about right here. So has your whole life been about this. Whatever whatever roads God used to get you to this point, He got you to this point according to His own map for you. But the bottom line is, you got to this point. You got to this point. Now what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Let's give it all to Jesus. Lord, don't let me have any anchors or or baggage that would slow me down and keep me from going where you're going. That would keep me from doing what you're doing. 
that would keep me from being able to be a part of what your plan is and fulfilling my place through your spirit in your plan. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on. We're well before four o'clock. You got time to pray and still have extra time between now and church or, or next session, not church tonight. Come on. Come on. Here I am, Father. I lay me and everything about me down at the altar, down at your feet. Take what you want, throw the rest away. Just don't let me miss being a part of this epical, strategic moment of time. Don't let me miss it, Father. Don't let me miss. Don't let me miss out, Father. This isn't about pride. This is about desire. This isn't about pride. This is about desire. This isn't about pride. This is about passion. This is about passion. This is about passion. What things soever you desire, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. If you don't doubt in your heart whatsoever things you desire, if you believe that you receive them, you shall have them. If you don't doubt in your heart, your passion didn't come from you. It's God's passion. It didn't come from you. Hallelujah. 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 When you're through, you're welcome to go. When you're through, you're welcome to go. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Itahala rotalara tatatiya mama hasahaya. Ikiye. 
ikiyata haya mahala rata tata mama mahaya la tata na mahaya ikiye kala rata tata haya ikiye kala rata tata la rata tata bahaya barota la rata tata bahaya ikiye kala rota la rata tata haya Yeah, I come, mama, high, la 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 ti. Yeah, raba high, la 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 high. Raba kasha sahaya. Yemana ni elo roto lo roto boko shasahaya. Hallelujah. Ye ki ye kala rata tata tahai. Ti ye kala rata rata tata hai. Mala rata 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 kahai. Ye ki ye kala rata tata hai. Raba kosha sahai. Ye ki ye kala rata tahai. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Titi kiti e kalaroto boto bosaka tatatamai. Ramai ala rata la rata la rata. Tie ki e kalaroto la rata tatamai. Barobo korababo koshi. Burabai, burabai, amamasi, amamarata, larata, tababahaya. Itali, itali, alarororoboturata, bahaya. Hallelujah. Sita, mama, mana, niti, kulorota, larata, tatahaya. Robukurata, tatahaya. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak the hedge, an angelic hedge of protection around the seed that has been sown in these hearts in these last six sessions. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command that the seed be protected so that the spirits, the birds of the air would not be able to come and eat the seed before it finds a lodging place in our hearts, before it can be germinated and begin to grow and produce fruit for your kingdom. I command the seed to be protected in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I command the seed to be protected. In Jesus' name, let your face shine upon this seed. Let your spirit bless it with moisture. In Jesus' name, cause it to germinate, Father. Cause it to grow and produce fruit for your glory, for your kingdom. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of revelation, wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. I loose the light of the Holy Ghost to shine into our hearts and give us a revelation in the intimate experiential knowledge of you, of your plan, your purpose, your kingdom. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say one thing to you. One reason why I'm through today is I have, I am 95% certain the next four sessions will not be about you. And what you have not gotten for you to prepare yourself to be a part by the time you leave this building today, you will not get. Because the focus is going to change. The focus is not going to be about how you can be used and what your part is. The focus is going to be the setting the captives free. Hallelujah. And though it will seem as though the sessions tomorrow during the day contradict what I'm about to say, trust me, the main focus of what's said tomorrow will not be for you, even if it feels like it's about you. It will be about God's purpose, His plan, His mission, which is to seek and save the lost. So all I'm saying to you is this. I'm a little surprised that he has dug so deep for this many sessions. I've been in call to war where he only dug deep two or three sessions at most. I've been in manifest meetings and meet meetings that, that he only, only dug deep for a day or so before he shifted to the purpose. I've learned in these kind of meetings, and the principle is the same regardless. That God always spends a focused amount of time, and it varies in every one of them, emptying us out as much as we will allow Him before He starts putting back. And it, you cannot receive back more than you emptied out. Say it to you again. You can't receive back more than you've emptied out. The reason McDonald's has been so prosperous, they don't make money off the hamburgers, they make money off the Coke because they fill that cup up with Coke, with ice, and they sell so little Coke, the profit margin is huge on that cup of Coke. And that's how for years they made their money, was off the soda they sold because they sell you such a minuscule part because that fill that cup up, that fill the space in that cup up with ice. And if you got stuff in your spirit that you're not laying down before the Lord, there's all He can fill is the spaces because you're not empty. So I don't mean this negatively. I'm just saying what the Holy Ghost gave is giving me to say. Only you can determine how empty you are by the time you leave here this afternoon. 
because the next four sessions, they're not about you. They're not. They're about the need, the cause, the mission, the goal. And uh, quite frankly, I really thought that would have been the shift before now, but he changed all of that. Changed all of that just a couple of days before the meeting started. I was kind of surprised, but he did. And uh, tonight's lesson, or at least the subject matter of it, is I expect it to be, believe it will be, is a lesson I've taught at the beginning of Call to War. <laughs> and here it is. We're over halfway done before we begin to talk about this. Why? Because I don't know why you, I don't know why this group, I felt something special about this meeting over and above everyone we've had, everything I've ever been involved in. But I believe that God was going to let or draw very specific people to this meeting to take them to a place we've never gone before. And when you leave here, you're going to be more impacted and more affected than any group has ever left any kind of ministry at any type of meeting we've ever had in this church. And it may be days, weeks, months before the real impact of that even begins to be obvious in your life. And that's fine, because I don't mind some space between this and that, because then there's less likelihood you're going to point back here and say, God did that for me there through them. No, no. In the grand scheme of things, it's totally irrelevant that you remember where the seed was planted or who the conduit was putting the seed in the ground. What counts is whether or not you protected the seed, cultivated cared for the seed, allowed it to grow and produce fruit. But I have a promise. <laughs> I have a promise that there's going to be people leaving this meeting who are going to move into realms and dimensions that not only you haven't been in before, but not a lot of people in our lifetime has been in. Excuse my selfishness, but I'm going to be one of them. I'm about to lay this microphone down. I'm going to the house. My feet like that feel like they're on fire. I'm leaving it with you and Jesus. I'm not here watching to see who stays or goes or who prays. You may have already covered everything you need to cover. That's between you and God. It's not my business. I just work here. It's between you and Him. But I'm saying to you one more time. If you have not emptied out... You're only, when you leave this place, what space you've made for God, that's all He's going to have room to put in. That's it. In Jesus' name.